Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. That's right. Just keep on breathing. From Los Angeles, the and the Big Apple, City of Angels and the Big <laughs> Apple. Welcome to all my listeners out there in Radio Land. I'm Dave, the caregiver's caregiver, otherwise known as Caregiver Dave, at caregiverdave.com, along with my lovely co-host Adrian Gruberg at the Caregiver Space. And we're coming to you live and on demand, 24/7, on numerous syndicated radio podcasts. Like we're going Facebook Live right now, but we're also on iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, oh, and a whole bunch more. And we are so <laughs> proud <laughs> that we have been voted number one caregiver podcast of the top 50 on Player FM and number three on Feedspot out of thousands of caregiver podcasts. So uh, thank God for that, huh? And we have an exciting show planned for you today, don't we, Adrian? You just have to trust me on that one. <laughs> I guess I have to trust you on that one. <laughs> yes. And uh, we're we are interviewing someone who's even subbed for us in the past when Adrian couldn't make it, Pantaha Vahidi, and she's an amazing, beautiful lady herself. And she's an educator, researcher, nurse, compassion, and resilience advisor. I didn't even know that existed. Above all, she identifies as a lifelong caregiver, and she has expanded her nursing practice to care for the world and spread compassion and resilience in all entities around the globe. Oh, my gosh, you got to write my stuff for me. Wow. <laughs> That's beautiful. Drawing from her patient care experience as a medical surgeon, cardiac hospice nurse, and her powerful though in her design experience as an engineer she has integrated the science and art of caring to develop powerful educational and training programs on compassion and resilience and her courses provide practical skills to use daily pentaha welcome to the show thank you dave i love how you always have this little dance when you pronounce my name. <laughs> That's right. You've noticed that. <laughs> I didn't even notice it, but uh, and I have forgotten that you told me that. I'm going to be aware of it now. Anyway, uh, I wouldn't be me if I didn't do it, I guess. Absolutely. That's what makes you so amazing. Oh. And we do want to thank our last week's guest, uh, or our last guest, uh, Mark, Dr. Mark Siegel, all over the media, he's been one of the great authorities on COVID-19, a physician, the professor of medicine at New NYU, Langone Medical Center, and an author of multiple books and contributor to Fox, Fox News Network. And it was a great show. And if you want to see that show, just check it out uh, this Monday on uh, the no, no, no. He's on our other network. Sorry about that. You can go to caregiverdave.com and all those other networks I mentioned before, and you can listen to that one. And just like you'll be able to listen to this one. And so, Panta, as you know, you know the drill around here. Um, I like to ask my guest just who is Pantaha? Why does she have that name? And <laughs> why was she put on this earth? <laughs> well, it's good to be here again, Dave, um, Adrian. It's Wonderful to finally meet you, and happy yes. holidays to both of you. 
So, Panta, <laughs> Panta. Is, is the unusual name that I've been given, but I've cherished. I'm originally from Iran, and I don't think my parents knew that I'm going to end up living in Southern California when they named me. <laughs> it almost um, sounds like an Indian, like a native Indian name. You know, and it means like dancing with wolves or something. <laughs> you can use your imagination. Sure. Make it mean anything. But I've read <laughs> that in history, she was a Persian warrior that oh. right, led an army. So I'm just going to run oh with gosh. that. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I like as, that. As to why I was put on this earth, I believe I was put on this earth to... Make life a little easier for those who I can reach and touch and relieve suffering and alleviate pain to the extent that I can. That's awesome. That is awesome. And um, you're, you're doing something special today that you've never done before. You've been on the show uh, once and you've uh, co-hosted a couple of times. But... Um, you are, I describe you as a caregiver burnout expert, actually a burnout expert, because being a registered nurse, you've you've seen a lot this year, haven't you? <laughs> this has been the year of your life as yeah. a uh, essential worker and frontline. And why don't you, before we get started on all that, just give us a brief update on what's been going on this year for you. And how are you? And how are you, for gosh sakes? <laughs> yeah, it's been That's a why very I have difficult... Adrian here. She fills in all the blanks. Yes, it's right brain, left brain, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, it's been a very difficult year for everyone around the world. Mm. To different extents and magnitudes, but I do want to take this time to not just acknowledge our healthcare workers and essential workers, but also every single person who's been waking up every morning trying to put their best foot forward. Uh, everyone's been impacted. I don't know of anyone who hasn't been, whether it's financially or whether you're amongst the millions that have lost a loved one to COVID-19 or, um, you know, economically or you've you or a spouse or someone has lost a job children being out of school um, places going in and out of shutdowns it's just been a very uncertain turbulent year for everyone and yep. i just have so much um much love and care for everyone who's been going through this um while, you know, coming from a region in the world in the Middle East that we've historically seen a stuff. lot of, yeah, we've seen a, <laughs> a lot of uncertainties in our lifetime. You know, I personally grew up in a war. I spent almost mm. all of my childhood growing up in a war. Um, but this has been a different animal. Um because usually in times of crisis, what happens is that people come together, they get together, you know, they, they circle around each other, they kind of depend on that power of community to find strength. 
the unusual thing with COVID has been the distancing that we've been, the physical distancing that we've had to do. So I think that's kind of one of the many factors that has made it an unusual beast and it's made it harder for people to cope. You know, people have elderly parents that are in nursing facilities. They can't go visit. You know, people have loved ones in hospitals that they can't go visit because we have restrictions on visitations for, for their own sake. But nonetheless, you know, I know that our healthcare workers are having to FaceTime patients as they're taking their last breaths to see their family, or for the family rather, to see them because sometimes they're not even conscious. It's just mm -hmm. been painful, to say the least. You know, if I was listening to you saying all this stuff back in February, I would be saying, who are you and what planet did you come what? from? <laughs> what rock have you been? <laughs> really? I just, I just never thought things would be like this. And it happened so fast. Yeah. Well. So fast and with no preparation, no time nope. to, no time to prepare mentally, emotionally, physically, um, you know, equipment-wise. <laughs> yeah. In any way, so everyone's you know, had a difficult year, and I think right now more than any other time in our lifetimes, we need to count on compassion and coming together and lending a shoulder to one another, yeah, build resilience and strength. That Beatles song is uh, worth more now than ever. Come together right, right now. now over me. So, um, you are the burnout expert, and how do you define the state of burnout? Uh, well, thank you for that, Dave. I don't consider myself an expert. I think we are all on a journey to get better and learn more and um, improve. Um, but I will take that piece of it that it's been a common in my life ever since childhood that I have been faced with adversities and um, whether you know it was just like I said the time of war or other crisis that I've gone through it's been a common threat so I've kind of had to learn to dance with that state of burnout and exhaustion and, and become friends with it and find ways to overcome it um, you know, well, burnout that, is a, that makes you an expert. Anyone who is helping burned out people and is not burned out themselves at the moment, in my view, is an expert. <laughs> <laughs> that means there's three experts right here. So go on. There are three experts. Um, <laughs> I think burnout is used very broadly and it's kind of ambiguous at, at times. Uh, now, being a geek, I've you know read the <laughs> literature and the science to come up with a definition for it. And there's um, not a standard definition. And although there are incongruencies, um, the broad umbrella of it is 
basically refers to a state of exhaustion, depletion, a state of overwhelm. Um, and something that you'll find in most literature is um, cynicism and desensitization. So you get to a point that you don't know how else to deal with the pain, and you just shut down, and you think, OK, I'm just going to resort to not feeling and numbness. It's almost like a defense mechanism. The pain becomes yep. so much that you just automatically think, OK, I'm just going to stop feeling. And you know, a state of being irritable, being helpless, feeling hopeless, and unfortunately becoming very bitter and angry. Um, and I have... And sarcastic, cynicism, evil cousin. <laughs> yes. That too. And, and a lot more. Um, a lot so more. That's kind of the state of burnout. And while this used to be a state that's kind of more for caregivers and healthcare workers. I think just like we were talking with the pandemic, uh, it's now pretty much everyone. Yeah. Wow. Um, it's now pretty much everyone, so it's a lot broader than just, you know, parents are having to juggle homeschooling with working remotely if they're lucky and they still have a job. Um, Otherwise, they have to, you know, go to bed worrying about bills to pay, another closure, another shutdown. Um, it's just, yeah, so now I think, sadly, burnout um, is I something some much statistics. wider. I heard some statistics, some statistics in a very small city in the Midwest, uh, I heard it on the radio, or the TV, actually. And uh, they were saying that the suicide rate has gone up so high that in his small town, more people have died from suicide than from COVID. Mm -hmm. And hello, that's, that's something that I think a lot of people are neglecting. A lot of people in leadership are neglecting what is the real cost of, you know, what they're trying to do to to uh, fix or mitigate the problem of COVID, you know, it's almost like the uh, the prescription. Uh, you're a doctor, you know this, or you're a nurse, you know, but you hang out with doctors. <laughs> you know, most nurses know more than doctors anyway. Let's just put that out there. <laughs> but where the, the remedy uh, is worse than the disease or the cure is worse than the disease, uh, you find that is true often? Uh, I mean, every, not every, but in terms of medicine, pretty much all medicine have side effects, so I see the analogy you're using. But I have to say, it's been a difficult thing to maneuver for everyone, and what is the fine line? What are the costs and benefits of each decision that everyone makes? And I don't think... Um, anybody even knows they just make the best decision that they can at the time given their knowledge given their resources everybody's just trying to do their best but yeah, yeah sometimes trying to attend to one aspect uh, kind of blows up another aspect but 
that's just life and this has been an unfamiliar thing you know I remember in the beginning they even were trying to find out what's the route of transmission um, yeah. went back and forth on that several times sure. it it was a new it was a new virus it was something that we weren't prepared for and I just think everyone's trying to do their best and no one is ill-intended and no one's you know meaning to do any harm to anyone yeah. but yeah I believe the statistics and I even think that the true statistics are gonna surface much later yeah we don't know them just right they're now. worse you think they're worse I think they're worse, and I think they're not yep. going to end anytime soon because COVID is also going to have a wave of PTSD. Um, and, just like and all of the different strains that are now coming in, that they also have to figure out how they're transmitted. But in all, in all fairness to everybody who's been in charge, um, you know, things could be a lot worse, uh, less than a year. Uh, was it eight, ten months now uh, since it started? And uh, you know we've got some vaccines on the horizon, which was unheard yeah. of. And so you know, I, we may have been slow out of the gate, but I think we're we're catching up, and uh, less people are dying, and we can at least we know more about it. And so you know, let's give credit where credit's due. Uh, we're on the right track, I think. Uh, yeah, I think it's been difficult to make some calls and some decisions, and I believe genuinely that everyone's doing their best, and they've done their best mm. with what they've had um, available to them, whether it's the knowledge or the information or the resources or the equipment. So what I've thought I could contribute to, you know, all those out there that are aching, which you know, like we said, it's pretty much everyone, especially mm. caregivers around the world because, you know, oftentimes they're at home with a loved one that's ill. And, right. you know, I know that right now they have an added layer of, you know, if something happens, should I take my loved one to the hospital? Am I going to risk, you know, uh, an infection? So that's been another added, unnecessary added layer of concern to the already overwhelming um, position of being a caregiver. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is kind of my offering to, mm -hmm. <laughs> to people, which is uh, a framework or a roadmap or, you know, a flow chart, whatever you want to call it, whatever suits you of yeah. really how to break down burnout and how to... Um, relieve the pain and how to overcome it and you know I think the first step in overcoming burnout is first we need to pause when we're in a state of exhaustion and a state of just no energy left completely depleted we need to pause and take a moment and you know I call it dissect to diagnose so you know just like you go to the doctor and if they want to find out what's going on with you, they try to narrow it down to what it is. I believe we are beings that are three parts. We are mind, body, and soul, or mind, body, and spirit, uh, or differently said, mm -hmm. we're made up of our thoughts, 
we have our physical body and we have our emotions. So one of the things I've learned that it's the first step in doing um, really relieving burnout is to pause and figure out in which one of those three are you really aching? Is it physical exhaustion? Because, you know, like as a healthcare provider, you've been on your feet for 13 hours, you haven't slept enough, or mm. is it mental exhaustion? Because you have had a lot of mental demands and you've had to make a lot of tough decisions in a moment's time. Or is it emotional exhaustion? You know, is it because you've, you're around people who are in pain and suffering and that, you know, takes um, emotional energy out of you? So I, I think that's the first step is to really, and sometimes that's tricky because all those three aspects are interrelated and they feed into one another. So if we're physically exhausted, of course, we're not going to be in a, good mood as well. But mm -hmm. if you can kind of pause and try to find the root cause of which one weighs heavier, I think that's the first step of trying to figure out if it's your mind that's tired, if it's your body, or if you're emotionally tired. <laughs> what if it's all the above? All of them. <laughs> then you're suicidal. <laughs> <laughs> And oftentimes it is all three. Oftentimes it is all three, yep. So what's the first I, step to fixing this? Because, you know, I'm a fix-it kind of guy. You we don't fix, fix it. it. <laughs> Learn. So step two is to go, and, and like you said, it is oftentimes all three. But still, you need to treat each part. And... Um, Again, also the remedies are sometimes one remedy helps more than one aspect, which is actually the beauty of it. But I think awareness in general in life is, is a big um, step into growing and understanding. So just being aware that, uh, okay, Warning signs, red lights, Danger Will Robinson, what should they look for? to get a clue that they might be suffering from this. So the clue is all the symptoms that I just talked about, you know, feeling helpless, feeling sad all the time, feeling exhausted, feeling sure. overwhelmed, not wanting to be around anyone, just physical exhaustion as well. But after you and kind multiple, of... Multiple um, symptoms as well, not just one or two. Oh, yeah. Or several of them at the same time. And your friend approaches you and says, what's the matter with you? Why don't you go take a chill pill? You know, when people are starting to criticize you or, or tell you to back off and they don't and then I, do that, you know. And then I want to know, well, what's the matter with you that you're not even sensitive to this? You know? Are you talking to me? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, just saying, playing, I'm playing devil's advocate here. This is how no, we get No, I'm these. just saying if somebody comes up to you on the street and says that, uh, it, in this world, it's like, what are, why aren't you going through <laughs> something? What, yeah. Are you blind? Yeah. You We're know. on the same boat. I think Adrian is an empath and uh, <laughs> what? he feels <laughs> intensely. And um, Adrian, I've learned that 
you know, people like the scenario that Dave just described that approach you and say, you know, um, what's wrong with you? Go take a chill pill. I think that stems from a place of them feeling helpless and not being able to help you. Yeah. And that is just their way of masking their helplessness by trying to dismiss um, that the pain exists and they don't know any better and they don't have the tools. They're not equipped with the tools and the empathy and the ways in how to deal with someone who's in pain. And in fact, a lot of my work is for the benefit of those people who kind of feel paralyzed when they are around people who are aching because they feel like if I can't fix her problem and if I can't take her problems away then uh, I'm just gonna either try to pretend like it's not there or mm -hmm. I'm trying to dismiss it or I'm gonna be in denial or I'm just gonna retreat and back up because I don't know how to deal with this so you pointed exactly at what my passion is to equip people with tools on how to sit with pain, sit with suffering, and not block it out, but process it and relieve it. And, you know, hopefully once people have these tools, they feel empowered that they can make a difference no matter the situation. Yeah, you know, I, I'm a retired auto mechanic, and I fixed cars <laughs> all my life. And if you know how to fix something, but you don't have the, the right wrench or the right tools, yeah. you're frustrated. <laughs> and it's like, I'm no better as a mechanic than you who may know nothing about cars because I don't have my tools with me. So frustration levels uh or is another symptom when you are frustrated and you say, what's the matter with me? I can do this. I know how to do this. Well, you don't have the right tools. I love that analogy. And Dave, what you just um, said actually completely applies to me. I do not know how to fix a car <laughs> to save my life. Even if you had the tools, you wouldn't know, right? Yeah, that's the difference. Well, here's a wrench. Right? What do I do with this? I don't know where each one goes. Although I've been trying to learn, but... I'm still in that learning process. Yeah, having tools is key. Having tools and then knowing how to use them yes. uh, is key. But I think the step before having those tools is even having the desire want to fix things or to make things better. I think that is the first step in really having the motivation and the want to, okay, you you know I want to help people feel better or I want to help myself feel better because yeah. sometimes we get stuck in situations that even on a subconscious level, we don't know that we can change. And sometimes we don't want to change it because we're so used to it and we get stuck in those loopholes. But, you know, again, my intention is to really offer people a different way. Here are the tools, here's how you can make it better. Now, you know, a great man once said, pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. Mm, I like that. So, I'm not claiming... You know who said that? 
a wise man. You tell me who said that. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> oh, you're asking me? Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, the Buddha. Oh, Buddha said. Buddha. Okay. Buddha say. Pain Listen, is gonna... inevitable, but suffering is optional. We're going to take a short break to give everybody a chance to get a drink or something. And so we'll be right back. Don't go away. Dave Nassani, the caregiver's caregiver, has just released his sixth book entitled It's My Life Too, Thrive to Stay Alive as a Caregiver. It was specifically written for caregivers who know they should be putting their needs first, but just don't know how. Dave is the sole caregiver to his wife, Charlene, since 1996. He knows firsthand what caregivers are going through because he is one. He now speaks all across the country, offering caregivers his amazing caregiver support package. Even the airlines tell us that in the event of an emergency, to put your oxygen mask on first before you help your child with their mask. They know that those who don't heed their advice often black out, thus becoming unable to help either themselves or their child. And caregivers are exactly the same way. It's my life too. Thrive and stay alive as a caregiver will help caregivers who are neglecting their sleep, diet, and social life and learn to put their needs first. Pick up your copy today or buy one for your special caregiver on sale everywhere and at caregiverdave.com. And we're back <laughs> with Pantaha Vahidi and my beautiful guest. No, you're my beautiful guest and my lovely co-host. <laughs> <laughs> we just managed I'm, to find her headset. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I shouldn't have had a lifesaver. That slowed me down. So go on. You were saying we're talking about burnout and we're, we we were talking about tools. burnout and suff different difference between pain and suffering. Pain and suffering. Uh, suffering is uh, optional. Suffering pain is, is calm. optional. So you know, part of my part of my intention is to bring awareness to whether caregivers or anybody at this point who's suffering that I can't necessarily take your pain away or my own pain away, but I can relieve and reduce the suffering. Mm. Um, the great. way I look at suffering is that I, I'm a visual person, so I always think that pain is almost like you have a cup and there's some you know, liquid in it, and that's that's the pain that's there, whether it's physical pain or emotional pain. And then you take this pain and you dump it into a blender, and then you turn <laughs> it on, <laughs> and you give it noise, you give it volume, you add, you know, just imagine a blender. My blender makes a horrible noise, so... Yeah. I think that's why this analogy came to my mind. I have to plug my ears. But <laughs> we just kind of give it energy and we regurgitate it and we go over and over. We keep bringing it up in our mind and in our body mm -hmm. and we keep talking about it and we keep thinking about it and we keep going back to it and then we work ourselves up and we work everybody else around us up. And But if we can just sit with the pain and accept that pain is part of our life experience and that it's actually our shared human experience that 
you know, we all on different levels have pain. And if we can come to that acceptance, you know, have the awareness and come to that acceptance, that right there reduces the suffering. Because part of the suffering is us trying to fight with the notion of, I don't want this pain. Why me? Why do I have to go through this? Why did this happen to me? And all that blender noise is what <laughs> makes it, gives it unnecessary energy and Oxygen. volume. So, you know, that's kind of, to me, the, the first two steps are really wanting to change status quo. And the second step is to know that there's an option for you to live a better life with the same circumstances that you currently have because a lot of it depends on your perspective. Um, another <laughs> wonderful man, and don't ask me who because <laughs> this one I actually don't know who. I, I remember quotes, but I'm not great with names. Um, said that when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Now, I heard this from Dr. Dane Wayne Dyer, but I believe it's been attributed to some other people as well, and I don't mean to discount that. But it's really true. You can live it is true. the same situation with the same circumstances but when you change your perspective about it, then everything changes with those same situation. So, you know, which is... And my wife is a great example because she lost her speech. She's paralyzed on one side. And yet she's not turning the blender on. She's not complaining. She's not, whoa, woe is me sitting on her pity potty. She's doing the laundry. She's cooking food. She's doing everything with one arm and one leg tied behind her back and, and puts normal people to shame, including me. I can't complain about any aches and pains I have. She gives me this look. So, yeah, attitude is everything. But she came to that, didn't she? It took I mean, her a couple of years. It took, it took her a couple of years. It took time to... The loss. We suffer loss. We grieve. Pain. And you go through the the denial, this isn't happening. You go through the anger, why is this happening? You go through sure. the depression, I, I can't do anything about this happening. You know, uh, you try to bargain your way out of it, and then you you come to a dead end, and you realize uh, you either commit suicide or you accept your situation. And do things. I mean, and change the world. amazing. And change the world. That's amazing. She's one resilient woman. She sure is. Yes, I could not, we shouldn't say this, but I can't do, I don't think I could do what she's doing, although we never know what we can do until right. it's placed on our plate, and then we're surprised at what we can do. Absolutely. Now, when you were describing Charlene, mm -hmm. it just intrigued me, because I look at this more as a conversation than as a one-sided sure. me speaking. I'm intrigued to know, I mean, to me, you just described a resilient woman. But what is your definition of resilience? And I want to also know Adrian's. Hmm. Resilience. Well, um, I had a broken arm one time because um, I was slowly moving in a parking lot and I hit 
a light pole because I wasn't looking where I was going, and it hit the little sensor on the airbag. And my hand was on the wheel, and the airbag exploded. It threw my arm into the windshield, broke the windshield, and it broke my arm, and it bent where it's not supposed to bend. And so they put they put in a very resilient metal called titanium. And they know exactly how and how much tension it, it will take to break titanium because they've broken many pieces of, t of titanium with a device on it that says, okay, this this can take, you know, 7,800 pounds of pressure, but it can't take 79. And so <laughs> that's the strength of titanium. So a resilient person uh, can take so much but everyone has their breaking point. And that's what I love about God. He says that he will, he will um, give us no more than we can handle. So, I mean, if you're going through it, a Christian or a good Jew will say, well, I woke up this morning, I didn't die, so I must be able to handle this. And it, it gives them hope to go on. I mean, you know, you think about all of the Holocaust survivors. How did they survive day after day with no hope? Well, they had hope. And I hope. And they're still around to tell the story today. Not many, but yes. Yeah, we would, we would have never known. Fewer. We've got to get their stories. If well, they all just gave up, we would. The world would never know what happened. So that's my that's definition. Right. So what's, what's yours, Adrian? Wonderful. How about you, Adrian? Resilience. I saw a sixty-minute years ago on people who live to be over a hundred and they describe describe to them the fact that they lived that long they owed to their resilience so I've tried to make myself resilient um, to bounce back from from the things that are just difficult to deal with. I mean, I knew my husband was going to die from the moment he was diagnosed. He may have put it on the back burner and gone about his life, but I knew eventually I was going to be a widow. And I could deal with it, you know, that I was going to be able to deal with it, that time would pass and I would be sad and I would be this and that and the other, but I would be prepared and that I would be able to bounce back. And this, this year has been a year where I have just been thrown so many curves, not not just COVID, but all over the place. Things have been happening. And I just deal with it. Next. Next. Just deal with it and go on. And that's, to me, that's, that's resilience for me. What is resilience? Yeah. You deal with it mm -hmm. and you go on. <laughs> Beautiful. And my heart goes out to what you've experienced with your husband. 
thank you. <laughs> so we have about 14 been, minutes to go, so um, keep that in mind as you go through the rest of your chart. <laughs> yeah, so back to the chart. I back have come... Chart. I, I do want to leave the audience with some tangible tools to walk away, so I yeah. am going to try to get through it. But we all have different definitions of resilience based on our own life experiences. I, I think of resilience, which I think is similar to yours, um, as bending but not breaking. Mm. You can't ignore the fact that we're feeling beings and that we're going to feel sad and that we're going to be down and that things are going to affect us. We just can't deny that. But but I think resilience is bending in storm but not yeah. breaking. We so. both live in mm -hmm. Southern California and we see those tall, tall, tall palm trees. I don't know how they don't break, but they're just swaying back in the wind. <laughs> Part of it is because they're flexible and they adapt. And they have very deep roots, <laughs> yes. They, they're deeply rooted. Yeah, I love that analogy as well. So, you know, back to the chart. Mm. Once we break it down into whether it's our emotions or if it's our body or if it's our thoughts, then we can move on to trying to remedy it and relieve it. Now, I'm going to start with the body because it's mm -hmm. the most straightforward and it's the most tangible one. Um and it's easy for us to conceive of what it means. And then once we move on to emotions and thoughts, it's easier to kind of conceptualize them. So the body, you know, it's in, made of your anatomy and physiology. Uh, anatomy is, in, the, in a different way saying it, is anatomy are the organs. And then the physiology is the function and how things work, you know, how you get oxygen to your body and how mm -hmm. everything works. Um, so what do you do when you need to take care of your body? You feed it and you take care of it. Those are the two things, very basic level. That's what mm -hmm. you do. What do you feed it? You feed it nutrients, food, hopefully nutrient food water, you feed it oxygen, your body needs sunlight, that, that's the source of life on earth. Those are the things you feed it. And then how do you care for it? You know, how, that's nourishment. And then how do you nurture it? You nurture it by resting. You know, sleeping is also part of resting. You protect it. You condition it. You exercise. You make sure your muscles stay strong. And you cleanse it. You, know, you brush your teeth. You make sure that you have hygiene. You wash your hair. And if you don't do any of that, then it affects your whole system. Mm -hmm. But sometimes we stop there and we think that's self-care. And a lot of the manuals and the guides and everything out there, when you talk about self-care to combat burnout, it's focused on body. And most of the things self-care are focused on body. But we're a lot more than just the body. You know, we're, we're part our mind and part our soul as well. Now, before we move on from the body, something that is less, less paid attention to, which I do want to bring attention to and share with, you know, your lovely audience, is that we're sensory beings. 
we have five senses, right? So another way to nourish the body other than giving it food and water and oxygen and all that is to nurture your five senses. Your, so basic science, the five senses are sight, sound, smell, taste, and touch, right? So if you, how do you feed these? You feed your sight or your vision by mm -hmm. looking at beautiful things. Be you feed it beauty. Now, some people enjoy looking at art. You know, it just beats them. Some people enjoy sounds. I'm one of those. Music. Music mm -hmm. beats me. It's my gasoline. Some people enjoy smells. That's where aromatherapy comes from. That's where, you know, scented candles come from. Some people like to taste certain things. Some people like chocolate. For me, the most comforting thing is tea, is my tea. It's hot tea. <laughs> like, I, I come home from a long shift, and all I want is my hot tea. It's just, <laughs> it goes down, and it warms me up. And touch, you know, just anything that has to do with sensation. That's why, as human beings, we love to hug each other, you know, um, getting a massage, having a warm bath, anything that suits your skin. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing I've noticed is that, <laughs> interestingly, being in nature and connecting to nature feeds all of them. So if you take a walk on a breezy trail and go for a hike, and, you know, the wind that comes, that nice breeze, the scent of being in the nature, the sounds of the birds chirping, the ocean, all of it, it, it feeds all five senses. So that's kind of what I wanted to add on to the usual notions of feeding your body, you know, with food and adequate sleep. Now, moving on to your thoughts, when you think about it, when you think about it, <laughs> you usually think about three things, the past, the present, and the future. That's where your mind is. You're either in the present moment, a lot of times we're in the past, and a lot of times we're worrying about the future. Now, they all have different names, right? We're lucky if we're in the present moment, for the most part, but a mm -hmm. lot of times we're in the past. Now, past are like memories, are, or on intense senses, it's trauma, you know, trauma from the past, events that have happened in our lives, whether it's been the loss of a loved one or whether it's been abuse or whatever, any other experience. That's thoughts of the past. And then there's thoughts of the future. What am I going to do in six months? How am I going to deal with this in two months? How am I going to, which show up as worries and show up as concerns. So now our thoughts have the same system as our bodies do, which means they need to be nourished and they need to be nurtured. So how do we nourish and nurture our thoughts? We can't give it a candy bar, right? <laughs> so, what I've learned on my journey of what has given me resilience to go through life adversities and challenges and burnout and exhaustion is food for your mind is purpose. You have to create purpose. Yeah. And you can intentionally 
create purpose. Now, I can't prescribe my purpose for you. It's your own purpose. But you cannot live on without having purpose. Mm. Another part of what nourishes your mind is learning. Always learning. Learning means that you're growing, and growing means that you're alive. So those are the things that nourish the mind. Another thing you want to feed your mind is courage. Courage is a decision. It's a cognitive process. I'm going to decide. Decide. Choice. And I'm going to make a choice to do this, although I'm not completely sure, and there are risks associated with it. So those are things you feed your mind. Another thing you feed your mind is your belief system. What am I going to believe in? How am I going to look? And, and then perspective. We just talked about the importance of perspective. I'm going to decide what my perspective is going to be on this particular subject. It's it's a deliberate choice that we make. How do you nurture it? How do you care for your thoughts? You care for your thoughts by cleansing it. How do you cleanse your thoughts? You cleanse it by forgiving people. You cleanse it by forgiving yourself, not knowing better for not doing better. And you choose the mindset of non-judgment. Because when you judge people, you're turning on the blender, the blender that we just <laughs> talked about. You are just creating commotion in your own mind that hurts no one more than, more than you. And then, you know what I call the AAA batteries. I want to know what AAA is. <laughs> the AAA batteries, which are essential for anything to run as awareness, attention, and acceptance. You have to accept your status quo. If you fight mm -hmm. with it, you can't heal it. Exactly. I always say you can't heal what you don't love. You can't heal what you don't accept. So, mm. you know, I, I came to a point in my life that I stopped asking why, and I came to peace with the status quo. And for whatever reason, here's where I am. Here, here are my responsibilities. I'm going to accept and embrace it. Now, moving on, in the interest of time, I could talk about this for a day. But in the interest <laughs> of time, because I really want to give your audience everything I can in the hour, is your emotions. Now, first, we're going to establish that your thoughts affect your emotions, and your emotions affect your thoughts, right? So anything that I said here in terms of your thoughts, they are going to automatically also affect your emotions. How are your emotions? What are they about? Your emotions are either inner emotions about yourself, whether it's guilt, whether it's shame, whether it's difficult emotions that you haven't been able to deal with about yourself that oftentimes other people don't even know about, so they're inner, or your emotions are outer, they're about the environment. I feel a certain way about the pandemic that just happened. I have no control over it, so that right. is outside of me. And you have emotions towards others, their people. 
people you live with, people you work with, people you're in the same community with. So those are typically the three parts of your emotions that you feel. It's either about yourself or someone around you or a situation that's going on outside of you. So what do you feed your emotions? Looking back at all those years of growing up in war, I've been trying to reflect on what got us through. And a lot of what got us through was creating joy. In the midst of bombings, in the midst of radio going off and saying the bombs are approaching, we would go to a safe place, right? We would do that. Yes. But beyond that, we had no control over the situation. So what would we do? We'd gather around each other, we'd play music, we'd play the piano, we'd do sing-alongs together, because regardless of whether we're going to sit there and cry and scream or sing, the bomb was going to fall where it was going to fall. We took the precautions, we did what we have to do, but beyond that, we created joy. And the interesting thing is that when I think about those years, a lot of what I remember, instead of the trauma and the fear, is all those moments that we deliberately created. So create joy, create hope, create hope for yourself and for others, knowing what I've learned at the bedside, what keeps people alive is hope. hope. If you have a patient that's dying and they're waiting for a loved one to come visit them, they will keep themselves alive until that loved one arrives. So yeah. hope is what keeps people alive. Mm -hmm. The third thing is inspiration. You know, reading and listening to the stories of other people and how they have overcome adversities is something that has gotten me through. Inspiration to me is borrowing hope from someone else when you have not. That's what inspiration is. Anytime I was feeling sad for myself, I'd go read the stories of people who have overcome difficulties in their mm -hmm. lifetime. And how do you care? How do you care then this whole notion of how do you care for your emotions? You care for your emotions by being compassionate yourself and to others. And how can you be compassionate towards people? You can either respond to their pain or you can resolve a problem that they have or you could give them relief, bring relief, whether it's emotional relief or physical relief or mental relief, which is another interest topic of mine which we don't have time for today. But that's how you care is by being compassionate and understanding and loving towards others. So if you break it down into your mind, body, and soul, and you remember to feed all aspects, and you remember to take care of them daily, and in the meantime, be loving and forgiving and compassionate towards all human beings, you will find a lot of relief from burnout. <laughs> wow. We have to have you on again Wait. for part two. Yeah, this was great. I've <laughs> never seen anybody break it down the way you have. <clears throat> mm -hmm. 
You said everything I said, but you said it better. Concisely. Differently. <laughs> visually. Etc. 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 Thank you so much. How can somebody get a hold of you if they want to talk to you? Because you talk to people, right? <laughs> You're a I coach, took, right? I talk to anybody that I can <laughs> encourage, support, guide, relieve. So yeah, they can go to my website, Pontaavahidi. Dot com, or they can go to speakwithcompassion.com and book a call, book a complimentary call to talk. And if I can serve anyone and help relieve a little bit of suffering for anyone, I call that a successful day. Yeah. Compassion is the key word that I would think would describe your life. You speak with compassion. You just reek of compassion. We can see it in your eyes, in your heart. Uh, you're just so calm. When I told you we were running out of time, that didn't bother you. You just kind of kept <laughs> you kept that demeanor, and that that's really, really a gift. The world needs more compassion, <laughs> empathy, and sympathy, so that we can see what the other person's point of view is. You know, and we're in such a divided world. Um, everything is is alienating each other yes. and all it takes is a little compassion and a little empathy a little uh, of the golden rule do unto others the way you would want them to do unto you a lot of that <laughs> the way America used to be you know yeah I don't know what happened a lot of non-judgment right yes we got to get back to that and otherwise America has no hope it's going to be you know, that 250-year experiment that didn't work out, <laughs> what, <laughs> like the Roman yeah. Empire, you know, which they had 500 years. I think they did. It wasn't all good years, though. Yeah. So thanks, <laughs> thanks yeah. again. And here's to America. Here's to hoping that it can be a nation of compassion. This is a good, a good New Year's show. Very, very good way to start show. the year. Yes. Yes, Thank so. you. I feel privileged to have <coughs> shared this past hour with yeah. you two. Within the next month, uh, we're going to do part two because you were that good. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a pleasure to be in your presence. Oh, and I could say the same for you. That's very so, nice. Thank you. Thank you again for coming on and thank everybody for showing up and tuning in every week. And we'll see you all next week. Bye-bye. I wish everyone a fabulous 2021. Yes. Ditto. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing.